0: been doing this journey through the book of Hebrews, um, and, and we're going to complete that series today. As I said, all the messages are available online if you want to go back and listen to the rest of the messages. Um, but as we've been journeying through the book of Hebrews, we've seen how this book essentially tells us how Jesus is everything that God has ever wanted to say. And we see this in in Hebrews 1. If you have your Bibles here this morning, you can turn to the book of Hebrews. Um, And I'm going to be in Hebrews 12 and 13 for the most part, but I'm going to kick it off in Hebrews 1, just to show you that the very first thing that the author of Hebrews declares is exactly what I mentioned to you now. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, the days that we're living in now, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So this is, is, is what we have in the book of Hebrews, everything that God wants to say to us through the person of Jesus. And, and the rest of the book really expands on that and expounds on, on what we have in Jesus um, that, that we've covered essentially the idea that Jesus is better. And I'm doing a quick recap for you this morning before I, I landed in Hebrews 13, but, but essentially what we've learned is that Jesus is better. It says that he's more superior to the angels. The word angel um, in the Greek is angelos, which means a messenger. And Jesus is the greatest messenger that's ever been sent because he was the message he was bringing. God didn't send a message via an angel like he did in the Old Testament or via uh, just a human prophet like he did in the Old Testament, but now he sent his very own son. And so Jesus himself is much more superior to any message that has ever been brought. This is the message. It's the whole thing. So he is greater than the angels, a better message. He's better than religion. He's better than sacrifice. He's better than, than Moses and the Old Testament law. He's better than us doing our human best to be made right with God. This is a, a better covenant based on better promises. That's why Jesus is greater than our weaknesses. He's greater than your fear and your anxiety. He's, he's greater than whatever need you might have. He is the one that is, enables you to rest in God, to trust in God, to walk in God And because of that, we have a better covenant based on better promises. We have this real life-giving relationship with God which Jesus guarantees in his own blood. That's what we have in God. And Jesus therefore serves as this bridge. We spoke about how a bridge, um, if you go to any bridge, like when I was in New York, I stood at the Brooklyn Brooklyn Bridge and I walked across it. And the thing about a bridge is it has to touch land on one side and touch land on the other side. And so Jesus, in becoming human like us, even though he was 100% God, he was also 100% human. And as he put the bridge down and touched down here in this earthly human life and experienced life and was tempted on every point and suffered all the things that we suffer in our everyday lives as human beings living in a broken world, he put the bridge down on our side, but he was also 100% God, having uh, his seat and his throne in heaven with the Father. And so in that way, Jesus became the perfect bridge, the perfect link between us, the perfect mediator between us and the Father. And He is the one that connects us and reunites us with our Father in heaven. And He's also the one that brings every blessing from heaven into your life because we have established and reestablished a connection with the Father who is in heaven. That's what Jesus has done. Uh, By dying for us on the cross and by being raised, He connects us to the Father. And because of that, because of that, church, we never, ever, ever, ever give up. Because you will not lose that connection. You are... You are seated at the right hand with Jesus. We, 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 We are seated with him in heavenly places. We belong to God. We are his children. We continue to walk in faith. That's why Hebrews 11 says, because of all of this, just like all those that have gone before us, we walk by faith and not by sight. We're able to do incredible things. We run this race in this life as we're cheered on by every witness in heaven, and we grow in maturity. We grow in grace. We receive the discipline of God as He helps us to become more than we ever dreamt we could be. And this is the beautiful journey that we get to go on, and that is why Jesus, and the, the message of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is a better deal, He's better than anything that you can do for yourself. He's better than any self-help program uh, that the world has to offer. You can go into exclusive books or any bookstore and pick up any self-help book, and you can say, I can do this, and I'm gonna gonna fix my life, and I'm gonna change my life. But but underneath, it, it, it can change things on the surface level, and you can modify your behavior a little bit, but there's only one God who can change your heart. There's only one power that can change your life from the inside out, and that is the transformative power of the grace of God as we behold Him. We are transformed from glory to glory into His image. So it's all about beholding. It's all about believing. It's all about fixing your eyes on Him and experiencing the change that that brings uh, to your life. And so this is the message that we carry to a lost and a dying world. Not self-help, not religion, not let's motivate you to try harder this week, but forget about yourself and focus on Christ. Allow Him to do the fixing. We, we often tell people here at Anchor Church, stop trying to fix yourself and rather fix your eyes on Jesus. Let him do the fixing. Let him do the changing. Let him do the delivering. That's what he is good at. And so in Hebrews 3 verse 1, it encourages us to do this. This is a scripture that was the foundation of this entire series, where it says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling. I love that. Our calling is a heavenly, supernatural, God-given calling. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. In other words, we put our faith in him. We put our faith in him as our apostle, the sent one. We put our faith in him as our high priest who reunited us with the father, who paid the price for our sins. He was faithful and it's his faithfulness that makes us faithful. Some people think that they have to be faithful to God in order for God to be faithful to them. I wanna tell you, it's God's faithfulness towards you that's gonna make you faithful towards him. It's, it's because he loved us that we love him. And so the more you focus on how much God loves you and who you are in Christ, the stronger your commitment will become. So don't fix your commitment, fix your eyes. Fix your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And so our mission as a church Every Sunday, what we do, every uh, week when we go out and we have our young adults meetings or we have our our connect group meetings or we have our serve days or or we're just sharing one-on-one with people that we meet, our mission is to invite others to consider Jesus and all that He has done, everything that He has done. And in doing so, we, even though we're just a group of ordinary people in this room, we're able to change the world. We're able to change the world. Never underestimate what God can do through a handful of committed believers. You know, you think about the fact that Jesus' ultimate plan after dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world is to entrust that message to 11, 12 guys that he had walked with. I can imagine Jesus getting into heaven and, and, and then being like, Hey, Jesus, that's amazing. You died for everybody. You completed the work. You, you were faithful to the Father, faithful to the one who appointed you. What's your plan to get this message out to the whole world? No, don't worry, guys. I left 11 guys behind. They're going to do the job. <laughs> but you see, when, when God's breath is on your life, when He is in a community, when He has taken a hold of a group of people that have this vision for what God wants to do through their lives, they're unstoppable. They're unstoppable. And they're able to change the world. We're sitting here today 2,000 years later because of those 11 people, because they stayed faithful to the calling that God had given them, and they started turning the world upside down all the way back then. We see this in Acts 17, verse 6, when this this news, this message about this wonderful Jesus and His grace started spreading throughout that that region. And and it tells us in in verse 6 of of Acts 17, when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers, some of the other believers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. These men, these women, who are turning the world upside down, they're bringing change wherever they go. They're inspiring people to to walk in a different route, to make a 180, to go go in a different direction, to change their lives, to be changed. By the goodness of God, these people that, that, that are turning the world upside down, they're here now too. And I can tell you because of Anchor Church here in the city of Joburg and because of other churches that are faithful to the call of God, we are turning this city upside down. We're busy making a change. We're hearing the stories. We're seeing it happen every week, week in and week out. We get news of how lives are being changed. That's the revolutionary nature of what happens to a person when the gospel hits home. When, when the message of God's goodness hits you, everything changes And so today I want to complete our series by looking at Hebrews 13 um, and share a message with you entitled, Consider Jesus and Change the World. Consider Jesus and Change the World. Last week we were in, in, in Hebrews 12 and uh, I wanted to read the last two verses of Hebrews 12, because we spoke about how, um, because of what Jesus has done, we haven't come to the mountain that burnt with fire, we haven't come to the law, to Mount Sinai, um, and to a place that, that leads us to rebellion, because the strength of sin is in the law, but we've come to, to to Mount Zion, to, to a new and a living way, to a new mediator, to Jesus, and through Him we have life, we have relationship with God, and, and we've received something in this, and it says in Hebrews 12, verse 28, you can follow with me on the screens or in your Bibles, but in Hebrews 12, 28, it says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is something that we have received in our faith in Jesus, in what He has done for us, that that consumes us, that overwhelms us, that overtakes us, that changes everything about us, and and, and it's because we do not just belong to the kingdom, we do not just live in the kingdom, We, we do not just talk about the kingdom, but Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, we become possessors of the kingdom. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, wherever you go, I want you to tell them that the kingdom of God has come near you. And where they went, there was healing, there was deliverance, there was power for miracles, there was the people being set free, eyes being opened, spiritually and physically, as the kingdom of heaven came near to people. How did it come near? Through the people that were going into those homes, walking those streets, going through those towns. And so in the same way, we're not just people who talk about the kingdom of God. We're actually possessors of the kingdom of God. It's within you. God's spirit and God's rule and God's reign and God's God's life and God's intention and will and power is present within your spirit. We've got to stop um, seeing ourselves as unable or incapable to bring about change. Because we carry with us, the Bible says, even though we're earthen vessels, heavenly treasures. You have the power of God in you to bring about change. Your presence makes a difference in your home. Your presence makes a difference in your relationships. Your presence makes a difference in your workplace, in your school, in your friendship circle, uh, wherever you are. The fact that you're there means that God can work, that he can use you to bring about change. And so we are possessors of the kingdom, and that means that we have a vision of the world and a vision of, of life and of family and of community and of purpose and of meaning that is greater than the vision that most people live with in this world. We have a vision that is greater And again and again and again in Scripture, from Abraham and the patriarchs to the disciples and the apostles to the New Testament believers, we see how God is constantly asking us, inviting us, and admonishing us to see the bigger picture, to live according to what is unseen. I love how how Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, and he says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Just think about that for a second. Your heart, your spirit man has eyes. The ability to see something that is unseen in the natural. And so as a community, we are a community of faith. We do not live according to the the small picture that this world would paint for us. But we live according to a kingdom vision. A heavenly vision. A heavenly calling. A bigger picture. Something that cannot be seen with the natural eyes of disbelief, but only with the spiritual eyes of the heart my uh, oldest son is in grade one, halfway through grade one at the moment. And uh, when your kids go to school, what's really interesting is that they learn all kinds of phrases and all kinds of things that they come home saying. And I'm like, I definitely did not teach him that. And so one of the things that Eli came home saying, uh, whenever he does something where he tricks you or he catches you out or he asks you a question, then he goes, ooh, you've just been schooled at school, right? (laughs) Because that's what... The kids say to each other, <laughs> apparently he says to his friends, he tells them that they've just been schooled at school. Um, I, got a, I read through his report this last week, and, um, and it was amazing. He says he's doing really well in all of his subjects, but there's just one thing, if he can just not chat so much in class and distract the other kids, that would be great. And uh, this is Eli, and so he's out there, and he's like, you've just been schooled at school, and here's the point, is that the world will attempt to school you. This entire culture that we have, this entire world that we live in, it's set up to school you into living in a certain way and thinking in a certain way, and this is how you must think, and this is what you must desire, and this is how you should live. And we get so schooled here living in this world that when we hear the truth, it sounds crazy. It sounds absurd. That anything meaningful and true and full of purpose is almost mocked in our world, Because of how we've been schooled. But the truth is that while every earthly philosophy will fail, and people will tell you that they figured life out, people will tell you that it's all about this or it's all about that. Let me tell you, the the, the people that do not have this kingdom vision, they're guessing at best. The only way, the only thing that we have, what we've received is not a philosophy, not something that can fail, not just a thought, not just a, a culture but a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A truth that endures throughout the ages. It's, it's solid rock. It's the truth of God, the truth of Jesus. And when you've received it, it doesn't matter what you might go through. It doesn't matter how you might be mocked. It doesn't matter what people might say about you because you cannot be shaken either. If the kingdom that is within us cannot be shaken, then neither can you. Stop thinking that you're gonna be lost or broken or shaken beyond recovery. You cannot be. We might be hard-pressed, as, as Paul says, but we cannot be destroyed because of what God has put on the inside of us. So we serve this almighty, all-consuming God who cannot be overcome. And the author of Hebrews wants us to know this, that you are greater than, because of who is within you than what you ever thought. And you can make a bigger difference than what you ever thought. And that gives us the ability to live life differently. So the author of Hebrews carries on and he says, since we've received this kingdom and are partakers of his power and since we have this perspective of of, of a heavenly truth and reality and kingdom, let us not be drawn away. Don't allow the world to school you. Let us not be distracted from keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and pursuing the purpose that God has for your life. And so he continues by speaking about why we as the church are different in this world. What makes us different? What makes us stand out? What makes us seem crazy to the world, which is just so countercultural, um, as we are spirit-led and, and, and filled by the Holy Spirit, something that drives our lives from one day to the next that makes us look different? And I'm gonna run through just... Uh, Three or four of these things that that Paul mentions. And he goes into Hebrews 13. It's almost, sorry, not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews. Um, And and, and so Hebrews 13 verse verse 1, and and he he runs through these things. It's almost like he was kind of wanting to write a lot more, but he ran out of time. And he's like, let me just tell you a few things real quick. And then at the end, after, you know, a letter that has 13 chapters and went into a lot of depth, he's like, I'm sorry, this letter is so short. Um, And so, but in Hebrews 13 verse 1, he starts with this. Let brotherly love continue. How are we as the church different? How are we as the church different from the world? The world is is a harsh place. People find it uh, acceptable to betray one another and to uh, speak badly about one another and to step over one another and to, and to disregard those that are in need or those that are hurting or those that are in a weaker position to, to, to live life according to their own rules no matter how it might hurt others. That's the world that we live in, but we have re- received a kingdom that cannot be shaken and the first thing that that kingdom would produce in your life is brotherly love. A love for those around you, and, and and so we're called to love each other. I remember when Eli was was two years old, his twin brothers were born, and and they were in ICU for a little while um, as they were born a little bit prim and then they came home, and and we were worried, like you know, he he's going to now share um, you know his parents' attention with 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 two brothers, not just one, and we were worried about how he was going to respond to them when we brought them home, and and so we brought we brought those twin babies down uh, home, and we put them down um in their little car seats and we called Eli and we're like, Eli, come and meet your brothers. And we were just overwhelmed by by his response. He literally he saw them, he went down on his knees, he put the his hand on each of them and he said, My babies. <laughs> like like those are his babies. And and at night, if we didn't let him hold his brothers, it's kind of like he would cry. He wanted to hold them, and he didn't want help. He wanted to hold them. His, two, his two-year-old self wanted to hold those babies by himself and, until he got tired of them, and he's like, take this baby, take this baby away from me. Um, and so, and so but, but that's the kind of love, and I, and, I, and I still see that. Even though they're brothers, and even though they might disagree, and even though they might have arguments, and they might fight over silly things, at the end of the day, they love each other. At the end of the day, they fight for each other. They fight more for each other than they fight against each other. We were at the lion park the other day, and I was walking up the the, the long kind of exit route uh, to get out of the lion park. Uh, near, just past Lanseria, and, um, and Eli kind of stayed behind to see some little crocodiles that were underneath the walkway, and all of a sudden, Leah realized um, that, that Eli wasn't there, and, and even though he had just seen him a few seconds ago, he thought we were going to leave without Eli, and he just started panicking, he's, where's Eli, we can't leave with Eli, and he was like, dad, stop, dad, stop, we can't go, we got to find Eli, and that's what brothers do, that's what the church does, we don't leave each other behind. We don't, we don't uh, break each other down. We fight for each other. We stand with each other. And when I think about how Jesus constantly tells the church to be in unity, to love each other, to make room for each other, to forgive each other, to walk together, to meet together, to gather together, to encourage each other, I've got to think that this is a major thing in the heart of God. If we're going to receive this different kingdom that looks different from the world, we've got to stop being as backbiting and as cynical and as negative about others as the world is, and we've got to start loving each other in a revolutionary way, because that's the kingdom of God. That's what God brings about in our hearts and in our lives. There's a major emphasis on this throughout Scripture, and so we we, we love each other. We want to preserve the unity and, 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 and make room for each other. And, and, and Paul goes as far in Scripture as to say, greet each other with a holy kiss. Here at Anchor Church, we'll settle for a hug. But <laughs> the principle <laughs> remains. That we're going to fight for each other and stand together as the church. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, Do not leg- neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And so the second thing, he goes, let brotherly love continue, but he says also don't just show love towards uh, your brothers and towards other Christians, but open your homes, be hospitable, open your lives, make yourself available to love even strangers, even people that you don't know, even foreigners, even, even, even those that... that, that that you wouldn't naturally choose in your own strength to, to love. Love them. Make yourself available to them. Give yourself to those around you. The world, in contrast, is private and recluse, distrusting and cynical, but we as the church are welcoming and inviting and open-handed. We welcome the stranger and the foreigner and the hurting into our homes and into our lives and into our community. That's why everyone is welcome here at Anchor Church. That's why you can come as you are. That's why everyone is invited, and that's why we invite you to invite as many people as you can, especially those that think they're not welcome, so that we can show them just how welcome they really are. Because we're hospitable. And I love how it says that, that when we do that, it's, some people have been so hospitable that they didn't even realize the people that they were bringing into their homes were actually angels. They've entertained angels unaware. And what I love about that is it's like, it's such a godly thing to be so open with your life that you're so open to serving others that the, the, the line between what's spiritual and what's natural, between, between, it begins to blur because you're so in sync with the heart of God and the kingdom of God that you're, you're entertaining angels, you're making coffee for an angel, you don't even realize it. And this is truly what has happened is people have said, you're welcome, whoever you are. There's something supernatural about hospitality, about opening up your life and your home to others. It's the heart of God. In Luke 14, 21, we see how the master of the banquet, as this story gets told by Jesus, the master of the house became angry because those that were invited were turning down the invitation. And uh, that's a, a sermon for another day. But he said to his sermon, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The message uh, trans, or paraphrase says this: He says, uh, "Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits and homeless and wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here." And that's our that, that's our mission: to be hospitable, to consider those that are suffering and those that are in prison, and to have genuine compassion for people, as if we were there with them. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Verse four, he says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That word for held in honor there where he speaks about holding an honor, that word for honor is the same word that in other places in scripture is translated as precious for example, in, in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12, when it talks about building with, with gold and silver and precious stones, it uses that same word. And in 1 Peter 1 verse 19, it talks about the precious blood of Jesus. It's the same word that in this context is translated to honor, and it, and it means that we should consider marriage as something precious. As something valuable, as something important, to be treasured like gold and silver and rare jewels, to be revered and respected. In other words, when you think of marriage, let yourself be gripped with an emotion of tremendous respect and sanctity. And we're going to talk about more about that in our series uh, called Sacred um, on Relationships coming up. We're starting that next week, but, but this is in contradiction to how the world thinks about marriage. This is in contradiction to what we see in movies and on TV where where it's like a casual agreement that there is no need to honor or to hold in reverence. And, and, And so because of that, because that's the culture of our world and people have been schooled by it, we have countless people living as if marriage doesn't matter, as if it's just something that you can take lightly. And if you feel a little bit unfulfilled, that you can just find somebody new, that if there's a little bit of trouble, that you could just walk away and, 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 and find somebody else to marry. And so people don't hold marriage in, in, in reverence, and God is serious about this. That's why he says that where people have chosen to disregard their marriage vows and to go out and to be sexually immoral and adulterous, God takes that really seriously because that covenant is precious to him. It's a reflection of our covenant with Jesus. And so as the church, we hold marriage in honor as precious. We take it seriously. Hebrews 13, 5, he says, keep your life free from the love of money. So, so far, uh, he has said that first of all, we are to love each other that we're to be hospitable and compassionate, that we're to honor marriage. And then he says that we're to be free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How beautiful is it that being content and free from the love of money comes from faith in the fact that God will never leave you, that he's your provider, that he's the one that looks after you. I believe that more than any other God or religion or philosophy that's worshipped in our world today, people in our world, more more people in our world today are completely enslaved by their worship and trust in money. It's it's something that rivals and and, and fights for the hearts of people and draws them away from Christ. To get it, people in our world will, will lie, they will cheat, they will steal, they will murder, commit almost any unthinkable act because of their love of money. But Jesus made it pretty clear. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot worship two gods. You're either going to love money or you're going to trust in God. You're either going to serve money or you're going to serve God. You're going to serve Him and trust in Him. So um, we, we, we often tell to people that, that if, if you don't see God as your provider, you'll worship your salary as your Savior. And, and here's a clue as to whether or not you may still need some of God's grace to release you from that grip of greed. If you worship louder and more passionately and more wholeheartedly on a Sunday morning when your bank account is full, <laughs> than when it's empty, Jesus help us. Right? When you can't give to church or to the kingdom or to a greater cause, because what will happen if I don't have this money? It means that you're, you're finding your significance and your worth and your safety, your security in your money rather than in God, rather than in Jesus. And Jesus wants to help us with that because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We walk with a God who is faithful and provides for us and who never lets us down. It's one of the most... Um, and I want to say here, here at Anchor Church, we need money, we use money, we like money because it means we get to do the stuff that we have in our hearts to do, but we do not love money. We use money. To us, money is simply a tool. It's, it's nothing. It has no hold on us. And that's why God can entrust us with it um, so that we can, we can spend it on what the kingdom is all about. And one of the most powerful things that um, Phil, sitting here in the front row this morning, um said to me when we were just starting out as a church, and when you're starting out as a church and you're not being funded by another church and nobody else is giving you the money to pay salaries or to buy equipment or you know we got help, one or two churches did help us uh, right at the start, but that money didn't go very far and all of a sudden we were on our own and we needed to we needed we needed to move forward and there there' have been prayers and tears and discussions and panicked phone calls at one in the morning and and all kinds of things uh, because of because of the fact that this is something that we need. But one of the most powerful things that that Phil told me in the beginning of our journey was that money is nothing. In fact, he said money and vehicles and buildings and all of these things are simply the exhaust fumes of vision. God gives us the vision and he provides for that vision. So we don't worry about money. We don't worry about money. We need it. We're going to ask you for it. We're going to use it boldly, but we don't worry about it because we know that God provides for his mission. He provides for his vision, and so he's our provider. The money isn't our savior, and that's been our story as a church, and so don't love money. Don't find your safety or security in it, because God will not forsake you. Hebrews 13, 7 to 9, he says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods, which uh, was part of their religious cultures of those days, who have, who have not benefited those devoted to them. Not by foods and religions and rituals and, 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 and all kinds of religious programs, and pro- but be strengthened in the grace of God. And so this speaks about leadership in the kingdom. The Bible says in, in Hebrews, uh, sorry, in, in Ephesians four that, that Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, led captivity captive and gave gifts to the body. And those gifts uh, are often termed the fivefold ministry, which is the pastors and the teachers and the prophets and the and the apostles and the evangelists. And oftentimes when you talk about a pastor or an evangelist or, or, or a prophet or an apostle or whatever, we, we often uh, speak about them as being in full-time ministry. But Ephesians 4 actually tells us that they have been given the job of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And so essentially when I tell people, I'm not in full-time ministry, I'm in full-time equipping, I'm here to get you ready so that you can go and do the ministry. That's the heart of God for the church that we're the body, all of us, every one of us. We don't just come here to get a message, get a bit of inspiration and a coffee on a Sunday. We come here to be equipped to go and do a job. And we're in the full-time equipping. And so remember your leaders that God has not called you to be a lone ranger. You cannot be discipled by TBN or any other TV station. It's great to watch, but, but, but that's not where you're gonna grow. It's not a podcast. It's not, it's not some program that you watch. It's a person and it's people. It's Jesus and his involvement with your life, and it's people that you journey with. That's why it says in the book of Hebrews, and we covered this earlier on, do not forsake the meeting, the gathering together of the church, but come together and build each other up in love. Guess what? On Sundays, you should be a church, not because we're religious, but because we've gathered together with a bigger vision, and we want to be encouraged and strengthened in that vision and whenever you forget who you are and what community you belong to and what God has called you to, come to church. Remember that your leaders will every Sunday, we will be here every Sunday telling you about the vision that God has for your life. So remember and come so that we can keep reminding you that there's more to live for than just your, your daily needs, than just the everyday mundane things. We are here to point you to something bigger. And so remember that. I, I, I feel that and I think about it every moment that I'm alive. And we want to help you get to that place as well. So don't walk away from the example of your, of your leaders. Why? Because they preserve your perspective. Your leaders will preserve your perspective. If, you, if people that, that come to church like once every two months and just to kind of check in, just to kind of appease their guilt a little bit, You see, the problem isn't whether or not God is happy with you or unhappy with you because you're coming to church or not coming to church. You're being schooled. You're being schooled by the world, and we need to preserve your perspective on kingdom-mindedness, on the vision that God has for your life. So we want to unschool you in the things of the world and remind you and disciple you in the things of the kingdom. So we're here to preserve your perspective, to bring you back week in and week out to the essence of what really matters in life. So if I and other leaders here at Anchor Church call you to serve or to give or to reach out or to worship or to make a difference or to honor God in any other way, don't be mad at us, church. We're strengthening you in God's grace. It is good for you to be strengthened in God's grace, not just to live according to whatever the world, whatever delicacies the world has to offer. We're here to strengthen you in what's, what really matters. He goes on and connected with that in verse 17, uh, Hebrews 13, 17, to say, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. To me, that's one of the scariest verses in the Bible, that one day I will stand before Jesus, and he said, Remember that person I sent to your church? You were appointed by the Holy Spirit to watch over their souls. And so sometimes that means that as leaders, if we need to have a hard conversation with you about a decision that you're making or a way that you're walking or, or something that might harm you, don't be mad at us. Again, it's because we are taking our responsibility seriously because we are gonna stand before God and we're gonna give an account of what we did. I love this verse. This, if that's one of the scariest verses, this is one of the verses I'm the most grateful for. It says, let them do this with joy. And not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. (laughs) As a pastor, I love that verse. (laughs) I feel like I can relate with it. I feel like I can dance around it. I feel like I can celebrate that verse, because let me tell you, it's not always a joy. People can make it difficult for us sometimes. And so, being a pastor, being a leader, being leaders of the church is tough enough. We get enough um, resistance. From the world out there, we get enough accusations and criticisms and, 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 and attack from the world out there. As a church, whether you're a member here at Anchor Church or any other church, let's not be a part of that crowd. Let's not be a part of the world that attacks the church, but rather let's stand with the church and those that lead in the church. People out there use their words so carelessly to criticize and to break down. There's enough of that already. They're constantly shaming and and breaking down and attacking the church and its leaders. But as Christians with a kingdom uh, perspective, can we please be different? Can we please be different? Can we please watch our words? Can we please watch the things that we say and use the breath that God has put in our lungs to build up rather than to break down? To honor and to encourage. The scripture says that's an advantage to you. That's an advantage to you if you can do that. Hebrews 13 from verse 10. I'm just gonna read this part, little part here and I'm gonna finish on this this morning. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And I'm just gonna pause there for a moment. You could just leave that scripture up there because we have this altar who those who serve this tent have no right to eat. In other words, we're nourished from what we receive, we we grow and we live and we're energized by what we receive from the altar. The altar is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It is the finished work, but those who serve in the tent, in other words, by the law and also this body, they cannot eat of this. There is an energy and a feel and, and an ability and a supernatural power that we have that we can eat of and be nourished by that you cannot get through human strength, that you cannot get from serving yourself. That's what we live according to. That's what we eat from. And it essentially says that we get our acceptance and our significance and our worth from a different place. I'm gonna read that, the rest of the scripture. It says, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. There's an emphasis here on he suffered outside the gate at Golgotha sitting outside of the, the city walls of Jerusalem in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. There's a there's a there's a removal from from the city walls, from where the world lives, from where the world exists. We go outside with Jesus, outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. In other words, we won't be accepted always by the world. For we have no lasting city here. Here in this earth, we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. The heavenly vision, the kingdom mindedness, the kingdom perspective, not putting our roots down in this world. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Once you get that perspective, the next thing that will follow will be praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So you will praise and you will please the moment you get the perspective. There's an element here where it speaks about we have nourishment that comes from this altar that cannot be received in the world, that people in this world cannot have. And it speaks about how Jesus was, was crucified outside of the camp, that he uh, was rejected and excluded and despised by people. We see that in Isaiah 53, that he was, he was despised and we, we, we esteemed him not. And so it says that as the church, we live in a different city. We live for a different kingdom, not this earthly kingdom. And this reminded me of of Luke 14, 33. Because Jesus speaks about following him and he speaks about discipleship and he says, so therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has, in other words, walk away from the city, cannot be my disciple. If you're holding on to your own things and you're gonna try and save yourself and you're gonna try and make yourself something in this life, you wouldn't be able to follow Jesus with that. But the very next verse what I want to finish on this morning. Verses 34 and 35 says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what's the correlation there in closing this morning? What's the correlation Between renouncing everything, walking out of the city, being with Jesus in a place outside the accepted culture and norms and values. And being salt to the earth. Because Jesus mentions those two things in correlation. And here's what he's saying. If we're going to flavor this earth, if we're going to bring hope to this life, if we're going to bring change to our world, if we're going to bring anything to our city, We cannot be like the city. We're in the city, we're for the city, but we're different. We cannot lose our flavor, otherwise we won't be able to bring the flavor. We cannot become like the world, otherwise we have nothing to offer the world. And so we stand apart. We stand different, even though we stand with and for. So don't live according to the world because then you have nothing to offer and your life will bring no change. I don't know if you've ever had popcorn with no salt. Is there anything worse? It's like eating cardboard. (laughs) It doesn't matter how late you are for the movie. The movie, it can continue. You'll catch it when it comes out on DVD. But you're not going into that movie theater without salt on your popcorn because otherwise it's tasteless. Butter salt is best. I'm sure we all agree here at Anchor <laughs> Church, right? So the salt has the ability to bring something to life that would otherwise be completely bland. That's our calling as the church, to bring the city to life, to, to, to bring people's lives to life, to bring marriages to life, to bring relationships to life, to bring families to life, to bring, to bring life to every space that we move in, the kingdom of God has come near you. How are we going to do that? Not by being like the world, but by walking according to a heavenly vision, by walking according to a kingdom vision. And This is what we need. We need to help others see that there is a greater way, a better walk, a more fully flavored journey. And if we have allowed ourselves to lose the very perspective that makes us different, we won't be able to bring this. So the writer of Hebrews concludes by saying, let us live differently. Let's love each other. Let's be hospitable. Let's be compassionate. Let's honor marriage. Let's be free from the love of money. Let's respect our leadership, not making it difficult for them. Let's be the kind of people that are willing to be separated and to stand apart so that we can change the world. And that is why I conclude our journey through the book of Hebrews with the words, consider Jesus, and go out there and change the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray together this morning.